This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today, and I am delighted that we uh, have people watching today for the first time. Someone says, how do you know you do? Because every time we're on the air, we have someone to call and tell us this is the first time I've ever seen the program. I receive letters of people who say, I was just flipping through the channels, came across your program, and I'm enjoying it. Thank you for your encouragement. Now today on our telecast, we want to talk about the new life, the new life. I hope that you'll stay tuned. We're going to be looking at an example of a man in the book of Acts who began to live a new life. I hope that you'll stay tuned. Now today on our telecast, we continue to offer the free Bible Correspondence Course. Thousands of people throughout the world are taking this course. We'd like for you to have it, and I emphasize it is free. And we'll have people to call and say, now what does it really cost? And, and I want you to know it's free, that you might know more about it, that you might know how to receive it. Let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5214. The book of Acts is a book that is a history of the church, its beginning and its growth throughout the world. It's referred to, or it is called, the Acts of the Apostles. And in the book of Acts, there are numerous examples of conversions. That is, examples of those who became Christians. And today we want to look at one of those examples. And I call your attention to the ninth chapter of Acts, and I begin reading in verse number one. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? The Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth 
And when his eyes were opened, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. In order that we might fully appreciate this example of conversion, we want to look at the background of the man that is the center of this example of conversion. And his name is Saul, Saul of Tarsus. We are first introduced to Saul back in the seventh chapter of Acts. And in the seventh chapter of Acts, Stephen, a Christian, was making a defense of Christianity before the Sanhedrin. And it became a rather heated discussion. As a matter of fact, as he spoke to these people, he said in verse 51, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, you do always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do ye. And so that's pretty strong language. And it angered the people. And so they took him outside the city and they were in the process of stoning him. If you'll notice in verse 58, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. Saul of Tarsus was part and parcel of the death of Stephen, the first Christian martyr. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he, that is Stephen, kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So that's where we're first introduced to Saul. He was holding the clothing, the garments, of the people that were stoning Stephen. Now when we come to the 8th chapter, we read more about the man named Saul. Verse 1 says that Saul was consenting unto his death. That means that he was in total agreement with those who were stoning Stephen. He was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great, great lamentation over him. Now, verse 3, as for Saul, he made havoc of the church entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. This is the man that we've read about in Acts chapter 9. Here's a man who was uh, a party to the stoning of Stephen. Here's a man who was helping to persecute the church. Here's a man who would go into people's homes because they were Christians and he would bind them and have them put into prison. But now in Acts chapter 9, we have a continuation of the account 
about the man Saul. Verse 1 says, Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord went unto the high priest, desired of him letters. He wanted letters giving him authority that if he found any that were of the way, the way of Christ, the Christian way, was merely referred to as the way, that if they were men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he was continuing this assault on Christians. And it was on this occasion that he became acquainted with Jesus, and eventually he became a new man in Christ. Later, this man Saul was referred to or called the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. When we come to Acts chapter 9, there are several things we learn about the life of the man Saul. After Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus Way, he came under new management. I want you to notice that he asked this question, Lord, what will you have me to do? That's in verse number 6. So he came under the management of Jesus Christ the Lord. He was going to have Jesus as the Lord of his life. Well, the fact is, Jesus Christ is Lord. Have you ever gone to a restaurant and maybe the, the, the building, the facility, did not even appear to be a very clean facility and the food was less than desirable? And so you made up your mind that, that you're not going to buy, go back to that uh, eating establishment. But one day you drive by and it appears that it has a totally new appearance. It looks inviting and there is a huge sign outside that reads, Under New Management. So you say, well, I'm going to give them a second opportunity. I'm going to see if they can redeem themselves with me. So you go in, you order your food. One of the very first things you notice as you sit there at the table waiting for your food to come is how neat, how clean everything is in the building. And then when the food comes, it's some of the best that you have ever tasted. What's the difference? It's now under new management. And our Lord is Lord of all. Acts 10 and verse 36. It was on the day of Pentecost in the second chapter of Acts that Peter told the people present, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made this same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Of course, there's only one Lord, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 5. We live in a pluralistic society where people say, well, you have your God, I have my God, you have your Lord, I have my Lord. My friend, there's only one Lord. I remember a number of years ago, driving down the interstate that, goes uh, around Mobile, Alabama, I saw a huge billboard that read, Jesus is Lord of Mobile. 
Well, that's, that's fine. But it would have been more correct to have said, Jesus is Lord of all. He's Lord of the universe. He's Lord over everything. Jesus is Lord. And that means that He is in control. Someone says He's not my Lord. In Romans, the 14th chapter, Paul is talking about the Lordship of Jesus Christ in verses 7 through 11. And in those verses, Paul said that He is Lord of the living and He's Lord of the dead. And the fact of the matter is, Jesus Christ is Lord whether we acknowledge Him or not, whether we recognize it or not, whether we submit to Him or not, Jesus Christ is Lord. And there is a day coming when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's in Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 11. So what does it mean when Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life? What would it mean to this man who had been persecuting the church to acknowledge Jesus Christ is Lord? Well, that means there's something at the center of your life other than yourself. And Jesus is at the center of the life of that individual who has made Jesus Christ Lord. What is at the core of your life? What is, at the, what is the focus of your life? What is at the center of your life? In Philippians, the first chapter, and in verse 21, the apostle Paul wrote, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Can you say that today? For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain? Or is it, for to me to live is to make money? Or for me to live is to party. For me to live is to have a good time. For me to live is to enjoy what I want to do without any regard for others. Paul said for me to live is Christ. You need Christ as the focus and the center of your life. And when he is your Lord, he is that focus. He is that center. And when Jesus Christ is your Lord, you're going to give him the very best service that you can render. And I doubt that any of us give him as much as we can. That is the best service. But in Mark, the 14th chapter in verse 8, this was said of a woman. This is one of the finest compliments that could ever be paid to anyone. And it is said of her, she hath done what she could. And when you do what you can, it's not possible to do any more than that. She had done her very best. But when Jesus is Lord, that means that I put him first in my life. Not second and not third, but first. The only time that some people ever have time for the Lord is when they have their backs against the wall. When they're flat of their back, perhaps and they have nowhere else to go, then they began to look to the Lord. We need to have the Lord first in our life. We're to love the Lord with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things shall be added unto you. Yes, this man, Saul of Tarsus, who said, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature had a new Lord. 
but there was new light that came to him. Notice in verses 7 and 8 that when Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus highway, the men could hear a voice. They could not see anyone. And then Saul, when his eyes were open, he saw no man. And then we're told that he was three days without sight. But it was while he was blinded that he could have his spiritual eyes opened and have new light. You know, Satan blinds us. He blinds us to truth. He, he blinds us to reality. In 2 Corinthians, the fourth chapter, and in the third and fourth verses of that chapter, Paul wrote, But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of God should shine unto them. Satan can blind us and cause us to not see that which we ought to see. He can blind us. He's referred to in verse 4 as the God of this world. It was while Saul of Tarsus was physically blind that he had his spiritual eyes open. Well, what did he see? Well, first of all, he saw that he had been wrong. Later, he wrote a letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy, and he also wrote a second letter to Timothy that's called 2 Timothy. But in the first chapter of 1 Timothy and in the 13th verse, Paul is writing about his past. And he said, who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and an injurious, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly and in unbelief. You see, he's talking about what he had been in time past. And when he was physically blind, that's when he had his spiritual eyes open and he saw that he had been wrong. But secondly... While he was physically blind, he saw he was lost. Again, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, in verse 15, he said this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. He said I'm the chief sinner of all the sinners there are in the world. I'm the leader of the pack. I'm the worst of the lot because he saw now that he had been persecuting the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he saw he was lost. A third thing he saw was what to do. Well, he asked the question in Acts chapter 9 and verse 6, Lord, what will you have me to do? That's like asking, what must I do to be saved? Well, how, how is he going to receive an answer? Well, he was told to go into the city of Damascus. And in Acts chapter 9 and verse 10 says, There was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And uh, the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Behold, I'm here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas 
one called Saul of Tarsus, but behold, he prayeth. And if seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. And then Ananias answered, I've heard by many of this man how much evil he has done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. And the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, and I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight, be filled with the Holy Ghost, and immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. Here's a man who saw what he must do. Later, Saul of Tarsus, who is now the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 22, is recounting his conversion in Acts chapter 9. And as he rehearsed it, in the 22nd chapter, verse 16, he, he told how Ananias came to him and said, Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So here's Saul who was told what to do. And he had his eyes open, and when he saw what to do, he did it. So he has a new Lord, new light. You know, in, a, in the song Amazing Grace, there is the expression, I once was blind, but now I see. But a third aspect of this new life was a new love. In the 19th verse, we're told that when he had received meat, he was strengthened. And then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. You see, he's now with the disciples. What he once destroyed, he's now defending. At one time, he was opposed to the gospel. But now he's for the gospel. Later in the Philippian letter, the first chapter, he wrote in the 17th verse, I am set for the defense of the gospel. But at one time he was opposed to it. And now what he once persecuted, he now preaches. He once persecuted Christianity. He persecuted those who believed in the cross of Christ. But now he's preaching the cross of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 2, he said, I am determined to know nothing among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And that which he once loathed, he now loves. Isn't it an interesting contrast between verse 19 and chapter 8 and verses 1 through 4 where he's entering into every house in Acts chapter 8 and taking men and women that were Christians and putting them into prison. 
And now in Acts chapter 9 and verse 19, he's with the disciples at Damascus. That which he once loathed, that which he once hated, now he loves. He became one who would love the church just like Jesus loved the church and gave himself for it, Ephesians 5.25. Paul wrote the book of books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians. In the book of 2nd Corinthians in the 11th chapter, Paul beginning around verse 23 began to talk about all of the various things that happened to him in his preaching of the gospel. He was stoned, beaten, he was in shipwreck, he was in peril everywhere he went. And then in the 28th verse, Paul said, and that which comes upon me daily, the care of all the churches. He had a concern and he had a love for those who called themselves Christians. That which he once persecuted, he now loves. The fact is, he had a new love. You know, when you fight the church, you fight Jesus. Have you ever thought about that? Back in Acts chapter 8, he's putting men and women in prison. But when Jesus appears to him in Acts chapter 9, Jesus asks the question, why are you persecuting me? You see, when you persecute the disciples of Christ, that's his body, that's his spiritual body, you're persecuting Jesus Christ. So when you fight the church, you fight Christ. And when you fight the disciples of Christ, you fight Christ. And so now he loves that which he once fought. And when you really love Jesus, and when you love like Jesus loved, you love the church, and you're willing to sacrifice yourself for it. But another thing that was apparent about this man is that he now had a new labor. In verses 20 and 21 of Acts chapter 6, it says straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he is the Son of God. Now think about it. Here's a man who had despised the gospel, and now he preaches it. I'd encourage you to study this example of conversion. Thank you until we meet again. Coming to Faulkner has been one of the best decisions of my life. Not only have I had the chance to meet many great professors, but I've had the chance to be educated by them and become their friends. I had the opportunity to serve the community through Faulkner's service programs. I really enjoyed using my talents by helping others. At Faulkner University, we seek to educate the whole person, including mind, spirit, and soul. That's what makes us different. Visit our website today to see what Faulkner has for you. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, 
Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible. Oh,